they said it wasn't humanly possible. But now you can have all the power and excitement of Nintendo right in the palm of your hand. Introducing Game Boy. It's portable, it's in stereo, and its games are interchangeable. Plus, Game Boy comes with the outrageous new game, Tetris. And for head-to-head -head competition, use the revolutionary video link and blow your opponent away. Game Boy, only from Nintendo. Now you're playing with power, portable power. Being and pasting a career. So nothing breeds imitation more than success. I mean, look at any of the more successful business models out there today and just look at the copycats that follow. How many times have you heard that something is the Uber of fill-in-the-blank? You know, you have Glam Squad, the Uber of stylist, Instacart, the Uber of groceries, Spoon Rocket, the Uber of food delivery, Drive and Washio, the Uber of, yeah, laundry, Saucy, the Uber of alcohol, and, yeah, I'm totally being serious here, Manservants. Manservants, the Uber of hot guys who will come over and do handy things for you. All PG-rated, of course. And it's not just Uber. The big guys do it, too. Snapchat launches stories, Facebook Instagram launches the same thing. Twitter creates verified profiles, Facebook creates verified profiles. Facebook launches carousel ads, Twitter launches carousel ads. Apple launches a retail store, Microsoft creates a retail store. And this is a tried and true practice in Hollywood too. You make Deep Impact, I'll make Armageddon. You make Olympus Has Fallen, I'll make White House Down. You make Saving Private Ryan, I'll make The Thin Red Line. I make Ants, you make Bugs Life. I make The Illusionist, you make The Prestige. And by the way, if you think any of those are coincidences, every single one of those pairs I just mentioned came out within one year of each other. Copying the successful is a tried and true method of becoming successful. As marketers, this is something we look for all the time. The case study, the framework, the tried and true method, the template. Something I know is going to work. Something I can use to say to my boss, this. This is what worked for them, and it's what I can guarantee will work for us. Except, in most cases, it doesn't. See, here's the thing. We all want to be innovative. We want to create new things. But we also want things that work. That's the safest way to make sure there's a job to go to on Monday morning. You know, everybody loves innovation, you know, just as long as it works. The key is asking why. Why are we doing what we're doing? Are we starting at best practices or are we ending on a best practice? So yes, the Uber of manservants might be the coolest thing ever. Copying our competitor's blog strategy might be truly successful, but why are we copying and pasting the idea? Are we doing it because it really is a good idea? Or are we doing it because we feel like it should work? Or because it'll be easier to get permission to do? If it's the latter, well, we should probably take a second or third or fourth or final look at that idea. Fun fact, all those movies I mentioned, of all of them, only one pair made comparable box office. For all the others, one was a runaway success, the other, much less so. The only exception, Olympus Has Fallen and White House Down. And I think we can all agree both of them were bad. And that's the theme of our show today, copycats. Copying and pasting or copying and creating. Which one gets you to where you want to be? 
And with that, it's time for me to get my copycat on. We're not kitten around. Cat puns really freak me out. You feeling good? Then let's really get our perfect show on the road and let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 176 of PR's This Old Marketing, recorded Sunday, March 26th. 2017. And with me, as always, is my co-host, my colleague, my friend, and most original copycat in content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? What did, I did again. I didn't hear your intro. What does that? What? What's the, the copycat? We're talking thing? about. We're talking about um, uh, copying and pasting your career, or copying and creating your career. Ooh. And, um, so it's the difference between the two that's important. Um, why do you copy someone? That's the, the theme of the show is why are you copying? Is it because it's really a good idea or is it simply because you think it's the easiest way to get somewhere? So I think, uh, many of the stories we'll be talking about in the show, look at that. But I also think it's something, an interesting, bigger thought to think about. Well, usually I just figure out what you're talking about and then I, (laughs) and then I basically steal it and promote it a little bit better. And that's, that's pretty much, (laughs) that's pretty much how I got it. That latter bit is certainly true. You are definitely much better at promotion than I am. I just thought of a, it's 176. Uh, Do you like, so I just thought of 76 trombones from the music man musical. 76 trombones. I know. Can you, can you redo the intro with, uh, with the, 76 trombones? Yeah, could you do that? No. No, I'm not going to do that. Well, I can, but then guess what? You get to wait for producing this show until... And I know you don't want to wait. No, it's you know what? It's fine. Exactly. Because actually, you know, it's fun. We're recording this on Sunday morning. Beautiful Mm -hmm. Sunday morning. I'm here in Las Vegas already uh, getting ready for Intelligent Content Conference. And uh, I'm actually preparing myself at the blackjack table. I thought that was the best way. I think that's a great prep place. Yeah. Absolute best way to uh, to make it happen. They have the, I'm here at the Tropicana actually. Uh, and then we go to the M Resort tonight. But uh, they have a double deck blackjack here, which is very hard to find in <laughs> Las. I'm serious. It's very I hard know, to find. I know it is. I know it is. I'm laughing because I have. There's, you know, I mean, you know me. I have zero interest in that. So just, I remember like, the one time we when we were in Sydney, Australia, we went to uh, that casino, and you're just, I'm like, oh, let's go to the casino. You're like, oh, sure, okay, <laughs> and uh, you watched me lose about a hundred bucks, and then that was, yeah, that yeah. Was I'm it. like, meet me in the bar. I'll be yeah, having ex- a scotch. Exactly. You're like, you know how much alcohol you could buy for that. Come on, man! You're nuts. So, uh, yeah. so what do you uh, what what do you think of all the feedback on our uh, our cover? For those people that don't uh, that don't know what we did, so on on my Facebook page, we have two cover designs for the new book coming out, Killing Marketing. That's right. And uh, we we received so we put the two covers, cover A and cover B, on the site, thinking, oh, we'll get a little bit of feedback. We had over two hundred comments. Yeah, that's right. That, and first that. of all, thank you for all of those oh, yeah. who are both listeners of the show and friends of Joe Polizzi on Facebook who actually commented, because holy smokes, 
I did not expect that much feedback, but it was great, I thought. It was really affirming um, in many ways, both in those that sort of objected to much of, you know, what was there and those that sort of really agreed with some of the designs. I, you know, I personally liked both. Um, I have a favorite that I'm, um, am I, should I say the, fa- my favorite? Of I, the well, yeah, what, I, I, we haven't, you and I haven't talked about it. I, w- yeah. I want to know, like, which, which one are you leaning toward? You know, the funny thing was I was, I, I switched. Um, I was leaning toward A, which was the cleaner, more corporate, more sort of, you know, Malcolm, straightforward Malcolm business Gladwell-ish. Book. Yeah. Yes. Like very a, business yeah. booking looking thing. Um, and I switched, I switched my favorite over to the, uh, to the more graphic novel, sort of rough-edged, sort of, you know, grunge-looking cover. Um, namely because of a couple of comments, um, and I won't embarrass them by saying their names, but those of whom said, it doesn't look like a business book. And I kind of went, yeah, that's sort of the whole point of the book. <laughs> you know what I mean? Is that we're actually doing something in order, you know, we're killing marketing in order to save it. And so it was like, yeah, so something that doesn't actually look like marketing is probably the way to go. So I, that's, that sort of sold me on, on B. I, and I loved, uh, I totally agree with you on this, which is good because then now I think we have got a place to start. Cause if I was all in for the clean cover and you weren't like, we would have to go back to the drawing board and figure something out. <laughs> right? No, there's two things. So, First of all, we had I've had quite a few people tell me in person and through messaging and, and Facebook and whatnot that they didn't like the name of the book. Oh, yeah. I've had that, too. And so the name of the book is Killing Marketing. And they're like, yeah. it's so not like you, Joe and, and Robert. And you guys are. And I'm like, oh, I think that that's it then. Like, I, that feels right because we wanted a polarizing name. And that's I right. think I think we're going to get it. We're either going you're going to be you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it, and that's what we want. And then I think the same thing goes true for the cover because I'm just I'm just trying to imagine if you saw a cover. And I know that's not the final cover, but that type of a Michael Crichton type book cover, right? When you see it up there against all the other business books, you're going to say, "What the heck is that?" That's is that right. in the wrong section? Is exactly. And we had a couple of comments like that too who said this doesn't look like a business book and that, you know, that said it's going to people are going to, you know, feel like they're reading a graphic novel or a piece of fiction or something like that. It's like, yeah, perfect. I, I mean, yay. I, you know, look, if they get all the way to the checkout counter and haven't opened it up to see that it's a business book, well, then that's shame on them, right? You know, come like, on. You know, uh, yeah, I, I, I was expecting a Patterson novel here. Yeah, and exactly. oh my gosh, we've right. got Polizzi and Rose. Yeah, what the that, heck is this? They're going to yeah. be really bored because yes. nobody, nobody dies. Yeah. It's, it's, well, actually, <laughs> she's close. Yeah. Our careers might die. Yeah, actually, exactly. I, think there that's, you go. I think that's what it is. No, I'm glad we're on the same page. It was it was fun. We're we're looking forward to. I mean, we're we're pretty much you know ninety five percent of the way done with the manuscript. We've got some editing and cleanup to do, but yeah, I think we're feeling pretty good about it. It's so. going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I'm I'm you know what I'm most anxious about is to get out and talk about it. I you know it's it's one thing to write it all down, and when you're writing a book, and you know this, and those of you who have written books out in the audience, you know this is like when you're in the middle of the you know sort of the weeds of the book, and you're trying to write things 
you know, you have to write in a particular way that sort of, you know, outlines things in a very specific way. And it's just different than when you can actually get out and sort of passionately talk about it. It's just a different kind of thing. And I'm super anxious and, uh, and, and inspired to just actually get out and start, just start talking about it. And I, I actually, for, um, you know, I was at, I've been gone for a week now. I started at Adobe Summit. Yeah. So, so just so I was at Adobe Summit, and the whole there, you know, they launched their ex- Adobe Experience Cloud. Yeah. So they launched that. So we're sort of getting into the news a little bit, but I thought that that was interesting. You and I talked about it, where everything they're talking about is how you can deliver a valuable experience to your customer. I think that uh, there's been a book out. On there this, is a book. I'm not there's, mistaken. There's a, yeah. There is a wonderful. I think they totally stole this from you, by the way. I, like they, well, the opening keynote. The, I know the, the, the I know John Mailer. I know I know it, John. It sounded yeah. like your deal, and I'm I, like, you should be getting a royalty off of that. I, I'm totally I, serious. I okay. There is a part of me that wants to go. Um, hello, hi. I'm. We're just sitting. Carla and I are just sitting over here, like you know. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. There's you know. I, I'm. But you know, long besides the fact that they stole your stuff, it's good for them. Yeah, because, no, it's the right idea. It's That's the right I mean, look. It's you know, the right copycat, way. right? I mean, there we are. You know, yeah. so yeah, it, it, it's absolutely the right way. So it's just it's interesting. And then for social media marketing world, so I went from Adobe Summit to social media marketing world. Which yeah, I didn't get invited to that either. So it's great. Um, it's yeah. great seeing great seeing everyone again. <laughs> I was really jealous of all of the f- f- good friends and 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 family there that I did not get to go see. It was that there that looked fun. That looked really fun. It was. We did. We definitely missed you. The uh, my talk was on how to drive revenue from your marketing. So basically, it was the idea of creating marketing as a profit center, um, Boom. which didn't go all the way to killing marketing. The idea, yeah. but we we went. I went far enough to say, look, there are ten ways. Once you build an audience, there are ten ways to generate revenue, and here they are. And I think the people there were like, yeah, this is. And I said, this is the media model of the future, and it is the the product and service company model of the future. And oh, by the way, in September, here's the, the books coming out. Yeah, right. So make sure nice. you pick it up if you want all the details. It went over really well, so I'm feeling good about the direction, I think. I think you're going to do quite well, Mr. Rose. I think, I think we're both going wonderful. to do quite well. I will. will, will It'll see. be fun. It'll be yes, fun. It's going to be great. Yeah. So, it's going to be great. Do we uh, do we have some other other news? We do have us? some news. We do absolutely have some news. It was um, it was a very interesting news week. Um, not to mention all the stuff that was going on in political news, which of course we don't cover, but that was fascinating to follow as well. But the first news item that we have for the show comes to us courtesy of AdAge.com, uh, and this was just a fascinating story, I found anyway, coming from my background in television. Big hat tip here, by the way, to Jonathan Potts, um, at J.E. Potts on Twitter, so thank you, Jonathan, very much for the uh, heads up on this story on the Twitter. Uh, the headline is, A&E Networks wants to operate like a publisher, and you it, it's one of those stories that makes you go, whoa. What? Wait, wait a minute. And then you go, yeah, you start listening to what they um, said here. So the story opens up and says A&E Networks quietly hired editors-in-chief earlier this year. The cable network, whose channels include Lifetime and History, isn't launching a magazine but it does want to operate more like a publisher. And during this year's Upfront, A&E Networks wants advertisers to view the company less as a collection of TV businesses and more as storytellers. 
the company, which makes its pitch to advertisers and agencies on Tuesday night, meaning this uh, this last week, is focusing its efforts on creating culturally relevant brands, starting with its lifetime and history networks. There has been a shift internally to refocus on a clear target audience and mission so that the networks become more like voices in the broader conversation than standard TV properties, said Amanda Hill, chief marketing officer for A&E Networks. I, I read that and went, Every single marketer on the planet should read this and go, this, look, here we go, right? Now you see a me- what a media company is doing to recognize the relationship with audiences and how brands are more than just one expression of a content. And this, I mean, this is it. This is, I mean, it was like, it was just like, it was music to my ears. I don't, I don't know about you. What did you think? Well, you know, the, the first thing that I, I read this a couple times, the, the first thing I look at, cause I always look at everything as a business model. Sure. And you know this, I mean, you come from this industry and, and understand that they, it, it really is almost like the social media model where you're building an audience on rented land that they don't, A and E never has really had direct, a direct audience. Because they're going through a distributor of content in a of lot course. of ways, right? Correct. That's right. I mean, that's, that's exactly the, that right. is the model. They're going through the, the cable companies of the world, right? So they're, so, you know, you look at, well, go ahead. And I'll, no, and I, I, I mean, yeah. if you look at, so look at what, I, we've talked about this on the show before. If you look at what BuzzFeed did, you know, when Facebook changed their algorithm, the executive sat back and said, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? We have no audience here. Our audience is all controlled by Twitter and Facebook and, and whatnot. So what do we need to do? We need to go build our own audience. So they've really been focusing on, you know, driving their own subscriptions and getting their own data. And they're actually doing a fairly good job at it. And so here you go. You've got A&E saying, oh, they're in the same boat. What do we need to do to build that audience, that direct audience? And this is how you do it. I think that, wouldn't you agree? This is, this is what they would need to do. Even in the fact that I love that they're bringing back biography. And they're saying, look, this, this is a content brand that is super valuable. And they killed it. And now they're bringing it back, and they're really going to to put some um, some resources behind this, so people that actually want to follow that that brand, like people follow Thirty for Thirty for ESPN, they can actually monetize that, build an audience, and then create multiple revenue options from that. So, I, yeah, it's. That's exactly right, right? It's about the creation of content brands that express content in number of a number of ways, right? One of them, in their case, being a television show. And, you know, I was just also watching, I happened to watch this week, um, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, L2, you know, Scott Galloway and his oh, yeah. Losers and Losers. Did he come out just, with a new one? He did. Yeah. Oh, a, I got to see one. it. I haven't oh, seen it yet. It's really lovely. It's, it's, it's just it's just he's just so it's it's he's annoyingly good is how good he is um he talked but he talks about sort of winners and losers in this media market and he talked about espn and how espn has now announced layoffs and that they're really struggling and we've talked about that on this show before but they're looking at themselves as a collection of tv shows that basically have overpaid for you know on-air talent have overpaid for rights to those television shows in many cases and are suffering the consequences and this is uh, to me that you've got ESPN on one track and you've got a, a company like I mean we'll see if A and E Networks can execute against this but you've got A and E Network that is looking at a at a strategy of a collection of content brands that can monetize in number of ways and hiring editors in chief to actually manage that content brand. That to me is 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 the future of when you talk about media companies and how they drive, as you just said, multiple lines of revenue through through the different ways that they you know that they express content, and you know it's just such a smart idea 
Um, I'm, I, I, you know, it's just, it's just really interesting. And when I look at a takeaway for marketers on this, it's like, yeah, this is when you're looking at your content strategy, and this is what I've been talking to our clients about and all of that. It's how do we set up these strategic initiatives, these content brands that can produce all of the different expressions of content that we can merchandise throughout the business. That's the real strategy here. And, and that is just a, a, it's a really smart thing to do, and it it it, it it's a, it's a great it, you know it's just a great example to be able to show people and go this this is what we're talking about. Well, well if, you know, it makes me think of the example we talk about this in in the new book coming out, but Dennis Publishing. So yeah, th- that's so if exactly you look, right. Yeah, so look at Dennis Publishing. They started, and they have they have the week. Uh, they have a number of uh, content brands, but they're also in the autom- automotive section. So they have a lot of car weekly and and monthly brands. If but now so, so started as magazines and now evolved into fully formed content brands. But now they're selling cars, right? So they, but it's much easier. It's, it's funny because you'd think that. Oh man, A and E would have. I mean, it's so much easier for them to to do this thing. But but traditional publishing companies are already set up like this. They've already created content brands. They've already been monetizing it multiple ways. In some cases, six, seven, eight different ways. Probably will be more. So I love that model. So those people that you know check out Dennis Publishing to see what they're doing out of the UK because it's amazing. There's like create create a content brand. You know, build a. A strong relationship with a targeted audience, and then they start out the traditional ways of advertising and subscription model, and now they're selling direct to consumer. So, it's just, so they're going the other way around. It's just interesting, and, and that, by the way, that's that's your that's the idea behind killing marketing. That if you build this content brand, that this is what a media company would do, and this is what every company, the Cisco's, the IBM's of the world, are looking to do the exact same thing. And so it's interesting to see how this, I mean, it's there in front of them, right? They absolutely yeah. can do this at A&E. And it sounds like they're hiring some really smart people. So. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, speaking of hiring smart people and pivoting and changing business models and trying to figure it out, um, we're going to pair the next two stories together here um, because <laughs> I don't know whether it was coincidence or just... Um, a, the right time for both of these stories to emerge. Um, so the first one that we'll link to, obviously, in the show notes um, is from Medium.com themselves, um, and they've announced that they want to charge you $5 for Medium. Um, the post comes from Ev Williams, and he starts out by saying, hey, when we started Medium in 2012 to create a better place to find and share important ideas that deserve to be heard, since then, over 7 million stories have been published, influencing hundreds of millions of readers, but today, the precarious seriousness of our media ecosystem has never been more obvious, nor has our need for depth, truth-seeking, and understanding. It's time for thoughtfulness to prevail, which means that we actually need to make some money. <laughs> he didn't actually say that. I'm putting words in his mouth now. <laughs> but basically, the economic model that he's created basically didn't work. It's falling in on itself. And so, hey, we need to sell memberships to you for five bucks a month. And then we're going to pair that with a BBC article that just came out that says Twitter is actually considering adding a paid membership option for businesses and power users. They're saying the microblogging service has struggled to grow its user base, which we've actually obviously seen, and is carrying out surveys to access or excuse me, assess interest in the idea. Uh, paying members would get access to enhanced version of TweetDeck, Twitter's souped-up interface that offers more functionality than Twitter.com, and but the company has not made any indication that it's considering charging any regular users of the service. There's one user that I wish they would charge, but you know that's a whole different thing. But um, <laughs> they should charge. Right. That's double. 
Yeah. It's um, going to be so big. Anyway, what do you think about this? What do you think about Medium and, and, and Twitter looking to become a membership site? You know, well, first of all, I'm, I'm going to back up for one second because yeah. I had a lot of conversations at Social Media Marketing World about Snapchat. Okay. Because I, I'm not on Snapchat. A lot of people say, you know, have been telling you, oh, Joe, you got to get on or whatever. I'm not going to, I'm not joining <laughs> Snapchat. I'm just not, not going to do it. But I've been trying right. to understand that model. Yes. Now they have a they have a really good solid user base, mostly of of younger people, mm-hmm. and they are not growing as fast since Instagram Stories came around, and, and of course Facebook is now dominating that place. So you're like, okay, oh, but they have a loyal audience, and they're trying to monetize that. They're doing you know great with revenue, but they're still losing a ton of money. What are they going to do? Well, I talked to a number of people that are involved with Snapchat. I didn't realize the number of things that Snapchat sells. They have all they they sell a, a number of different pro- they sell Snapchat plush dolls, they sell they sell a lot of different things, merchandising as part of that platform. And the idea is not to grow the user base, it's to monetize in multiple different diverse ways. So they're uh, they're saying, okay, well right now it's 28 cents per user is sort of the revenue model or something like that and they're going to try to grow that over the next couple of years to over $20 a user. So that, so I'm trying to think of, you know, what is Snapchat? Is it a camera company? I saw those people walking around social media marketing world with the the spectacles on and all kinds of stuff I'm like okay, right. whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's it's working for them. Right. I, okay, I talked sure. to a couple I talked to a couple of people they said it's great because it's hands-free and you can take whatever pictures you want to in 10 second inc- increments. Um but I'm looking at that and say, okay, build a loyal audience and monetize. And I think, okay, here come here comes Medium. Twitter, we know the problems with that, but let's look at Medium for one second. This, in our model that you and I talk about, there's five ways that you can um, create direct revenue streams from your audience base. And one is donations, and the and one other one is premium content. A lot, a lot of people would think of this as, is this premium content play for them? Is it a membership play? Actually, what it looks like to me is a donation play. Yeah, that's right. It is abs- it's, like, it's like a Wikipedia play. Right. It's like, hey, you know, keep it ad free. If you want this kind of great, you know, we're struggling for revenues. Would you donate? Because the benefits don't look that great to me. If you, I mean, I don't, if we get five bucks, 10 bucks, whatever, it doesn't look that great. But if you enjoy being on that platform, would you pay? I think that's the same thing we're talking about with Twitter, even though they say, oh, hey, it's, uh, you get uh, this special tweet deck service or whatever. What they're really saying is, do you enjoy use? Do you get value out of this platform? If you do, we need your support. Please donate. That's what it's coming across to me as. I don't know yeah, if that's I correct. Yeah, I think it's a little different it with like. Twitter. I think it's a little different with Twitter. I totally agree with you on Medium. I mean, I look at the benefits that, they've, that they have thus far offered up for Medium. And it looks very much like a donation play to me, right? Just like you said, right? You know, hey, donate now and and keep Medium ad free. Basically, is that you know, it's very much like Wikipedia yep. and sort of how um, Wales sort of you know once every year sort of sticks a banner up and says you know basically keep Wikipedia free and donate now and keep it free. Um, and but I look at Twitter as a little different because I, I keep coming back to this thing that it it, it just sits in my mind. This thing that. Um, Jay Bear said recently, which just really resonated with me when he said that basically it's not about how many use Twitter. It's about who uses Twitter. Yep. And I think that's a really important thing. Um, it's, it, it, it's what makes them an interesting acquisition target in my mind. And so to me, I don't, when they, when they, 
you know, they obviously have to continue to say that they're focusing on growth, but they could also really focus on making it, you know, a niche level service for a very specific type of user. And, you know, the, the users that use Twitter are, are well, you know, well known there, you know, celebrities and, and some politicians and, and, and those kinds of things. And I think if you're a business and, you know, whether that's a celebrity driven business or a creator driven business or a politician driven business and you're looking for deeper sets of, of ways to make Twitter really work for you, then I think that this is a um, that would be a, a reason to buy more business oriented yep. tools, right? Power user tools. And but honestly, that's a very small percentage of a percentage, right? And so that, you know, the, 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 the real challenge is for Twitter is, is, okay, well then how do you distribute the, your content, right? You've now become this sort of power user base of a, of a, of a publishing platform. Well, where the heck are you publishing to, right? What, you know, where's the audience? And, and that's where they're losing the game is, is that they're not building any reason for people like my wife who is on Twitter, but maybe has tweeted, you know, four or five times. And the only way she ever sees a tweet is on television and or in her Facebook feed. And so that's the real challenge for them is how do they actually get audience members who aren't us, who aren't, you know, sort of, you know, the inside baseball people looking at Twitter as some means of spreading a, a, a message to pull people into our, you know, our other marketing channels. Well, that's true because they only need to focus on for, uh, to drive revenues is the one percent. It's the it's you know it's. I mean, I, Twitter is still my favorite platform. Yeah, like what I, I really Twitter. need to get something out and and uh, and send out about something about content marketing world or a piece of uh, educational content from like a book like Experiences or something like that. I'm going to shoot it out on Twitter, and it gets it gets really good feedback and it works fairly well for us. So it, you think too, so? What you're saying is. How are we going to get the rest? How are we going to get all those audiences bases to pay attention? But I don't know. I mean, that's that's sort of what our job is, right? Our job as the one percenters is to make sure that we deliver content and we can build an audience on that platform. That's what they're hoping for. They don't have to do it themselves, do they? That's a great point. That's a great point, right? So it becomes the it becomes in the interest of the you know Kim Kardashians and the Donald right. Trumps and the other people that are out there utilizing it as a means of relating to their consumers to basically prop up the thing and say, Hey, listen, if you want to find me, you're going to find me on Twitter. You're going to, so they only have to, yeah. So they only have to worry about making sure that this is the greatest place in the world for that 1% and the 1% will work to keep their audiences strong on Twitter. Yeah. So I'm all in and like, I, I absolutely, I mean, I don't know what kind of tools they're talking about, but if there's more insight into the people that follow me or content marketing Institute or whatever the case is, I'm in. Like I, I, I would definitely try it at least to see if it's a value. Uh, other than, I mean, I'm not a big medium user, so I can't talk about that. But Twitter, for sure. So you're right. I think you're right. I think the, the medium is the donation play, and Twitter is there is a power user play for sure. Yeah, that I could I be a game changer right. for them because they don't. They're not growing audience. We all know that. And do the, I guess the question is, do they need to? And I've heard enough people talk about Snapchat, especially since they went public at 98 times earning. Or, or, uh, they don't have earnings. <laughs> yeah. 98 well, that's times falling revenue, off a cliff. Yeah, that's falling is, off a cliff. Of it's place, back yeah. up. It's back up at 20, like $22, $23 a share, which is still about 
$22 more than it should be. <laughs> but there's no way it can sustain that. I'm sorry. There's no way. It's, yeah, it's, no. it's, it's, it's running on yeah. fumes right now. But, yeah. but I think that, that, that there's the people, the prognosticators that like Snapchat are saying they've got a really valuable, uh, loyal user base. And they're going to be able to monetize that user base. That's the same thing you can say for Twitter. They just haven't done it yet. Yeah. So it's a great point. Well, speaking of power users, we have an amazing power user sponsor to talk about. Are we already on sponsors? We are talking about our what sponsors. The, what the, you totally caught me off guard with that one. But now yeah. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I, was, I was on the next news story, man. You, okay. Here we go. I <laughs> With content creation, Robert, and yeah. promotion... Comes yes. a lot of data. I, uh, if you have I've a digital, heard. <laughs> if you have a digital audience, there's a good chance that you have trouble connecting the information your data provides with a way to use it to improve your content strategy. We just talked about Twitter. It's the same thing. I know. They, if they just it's, do that, it's you know almost what? as if somebody takes the time to really place these stories in a way that makes contextual sense. It's almost like that. Almost. Maybe almost. Almost. <laughs> almost like that. Yeah. But don't worry, Robert. You're not alone. Parsley, the company, not the herb, as we were talking I about love last parsley. Week. Do you know how my people came up to me and were laughing? You know. were talking about the herb there. The company, Parsley, P A R S E dot L Y, has yes. researched the state of content analytics with a survey of publishers and brands, and really anyone else that creates content. And the report they produced on the findings reveals what metrics the industry considers most useful the siloed state of brand and publisher offices <laughs> when it comes to data access, and how their analytics end up impacting the content they create. Actually, a truly valuable report. I've checked it out. You got to check it out. Get it at cmi.media slash PNR1. 176 at cmi.media slash pnr176 really valuable report i love it when our sponsors come on our partners come on and they really give you a lot of value so if you haven't taken the time to download it please go ahead and do that thanks to our friends at parsley for making this happen absolutely thank you to parsley that's a wonderful it's a wonderful piece it's a wonderful piece and and uh, i encourage you all to 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 actually get it um fantastic all right there you go Good. Yeah. Well, now it is time for your favorite part of the show, friends. It is time for our rants and rave section. When Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that makes us feel like, oh, we're seeing just copycat after copycat after copycat or something that makes us feel, wow, that's truly original. So let's see. I'm going first because I have this old marketing uh, this week. Thank God, um, by the way, because I think I had it two times in a row and I'm exhausted. Yeah, I don't know how no, you do it. I can't. <laughs> it's just been way too much for me, man. <laughs> I don't like to overtax the Godfather. Yeah, thank that's for sure. God. Yeah. Um, so I have a very quick rave and then a bit more on the rant slash commentary that I was speaking about last week. Um, so my very quick rave is... <laughs> Um, I'm basically raving on myself, so I'm going to puff out my chest here for about 10 seconds and say, <laughs> I knew it, right? And um, I predicted this. So there was an article that came out in Marketing Land uh, uh, this week, marketingland.com to be specific, um, that said LinkedIn matched audiences, a new product from LinkedIn, targets ads on web browsers and email addresses. And one of my predictions for 2017 um, that I shared with you know those who ask for such things, including CMI, um, was I, I had predicted from those who had asked me specifically about B2B such things. I said, I believe that LinkedIn is going to resurrect that wonderful email targeting and content targeting and ad targeting tool that used data that they had. Um, I said, once the Microsoft acquisition dust settles, I believe they're going to resurrect that. And here they've done exactly that. 
And so the article says, LinkedIn continues to cross off the checklist for assembling a modern digital advertising business after pressing reset a year ago. Uh, Later this year, LinkedIn will once again let businesses target people who visit websites with ads on the Microsoft-owned business-centric social network. On top of re-adding website retargeting, which is already offered by Facebook, Google, Twitter, and Pinterest, LinkedIn will also enable businesses to target ads based on people's email addresses as its aforementioned rivals already do. So I think uh, uh, kudos to them. I think it's a great tool. I was sad to see it get retired when it did, and I think it's uh, an amazing, wonderful thing that they're doing now for marketing solutions um, and goes to my next piece. Can I ask you a quick question about that? Sure. Is this the, the reincarnation of Bizzo? Is, in, yes, in, that's yes. exactly right. Okay. Yeah, remember when remember when they acquired Bizzo and we talked about this amazing thing that they were going to have the ability to do, which was to pull in all this data. You could upload your own media audience and basically, you know, they could turn into a true marketing and ad tech platform where they were taking business to business and really providing for highly targeted programs to, you know, to other businesses because there's so much data there to pull from in terms of what you know what you can use to 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 target your messaging and you know lead generation programs and all that kind of stuff and we were like this is really interesting and then they killed it they killed it mid last year and everybody was like why are they killing it and well oh, they can't do it and it's really a hard and they they failed and they failed at the you know developing the technology and that was sort of the main sort of narrative um in the media on it and and um and here they are you know and i think it was just they, they didn't do a very good job of launching it to begin with. And then Microsoft came in and said, no, 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 no. <laughs> you don't understand. This is why we bought you. So <laughs> this, well, you congratulations. Know, yeah. I'm happy. A, I'm happy yeah. for you. That's yeah. really good. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Thank you very much. It's okay. rare that I'm right. So I'm going <laughs> to, so that I'm actually going to say <laughs> I was right. Um, so my, my, my rant or commentary. So if you tuned into the show last week, you heard me sort of talk about the programmatic advertising and and the idea of um this you know that i that there was this sort of story to write that wasn't getting written and i've been doing more thinking on it and this week is just a continuation of that i'm not sure i'm really ready but i thought i'd share a few of my notes that i've been taking um on this idea three stories that came out this week um that i think just really start to you know they just start to stick with me like a like a pee in the mattress um and the first one was that the senate voted to let you know that's the u.s senate by the way to let isps sell your web browsing history now this is something that facebook and google have had for a long time but basically the senate voted to end what the obama administration had created which was a prohib prohibition on people like comcast or your isp selling your web browsing history to advertisers so think what you want about that, whichever side of the political aisle you may find yourself. If this goes through, and there's every indication to think that it will go through, basically ISPs, those who you get your internet connection from, telecom companies usually, are going to have um, the ability to sell your web browsing history. Now, the how those are overlapping into content companies, i.e. Google and Amazon, and you know some of them becoming these sort of um, telecom companies, there's a whole interesting thing to explore there. But... For the moment, I'll t- two other stories, one coming from The Verge, um, which is talking about, and all of the major news outlets are talking about this, how Google is really struggling right now because there was a big boycott in the UK from The Guardian and others to basically boycott YouTube programmatic advertising because they're getting placed across you know, YouTube videos that are, quite frankly, hate speech or, you know, not or adult oriented or basically not matching their brand. So they're mm-hmm. they're saying, you know, we're just not going to advertise with Google at all. And a few 
American companies have now joined this um, big uh, big boycott as well. We'll see what happens there, but that's a whole other story to start to follow. And then finally, this week in the Wall Street Journal, there was a uh, a, a, a story about how Turner, Viacom, and Fox have now joined forces to create a whole new platform to look at how TV ad buying is done, right? They're creating their own way to do measurement for television advertising and just going right around some of the classic TV ad measurement services like Comscore and, of course, the, the most famous one, Nielsen. So all of those together, what does that mean, right? So I think it's a harbinger of what's coming with this ad tech revolt or compression or collapse or whatever you want to talk about it. And the rise, as we talked about last week and maybe the week before, about MarTech as a growth area. And this is the new threat that Google, Facebook, and companies like maybe even Alibaba are going to start stealing from, right? So when we start seeing companies like there's this company that I've been looking at called Cartalytics, which you've never heard of, but you're going to hear about this company, Cartalytics, because what they're doing is they're actually going, instead of from the top down and helping marketers measure, they're going from the bottom up. In other words, they're looking at purchases, digital purchases and card purchases, and they're getting data from banks um, and other uh, credit card companies to look at all the purchases, parse all that data, and actually look at what you're buying and tie that to marketing campaigns. And so that instead of trying to go from figuring out the ad impression down to a purchase, they're figuring the purchase back out to an ad, ad impression and is starting to work. Then if you start to look at the total market, and you'll love this, Joe, right? You go look at the total market for ad tech and advertising. So I'm looking at Zenith Optimedia's data, which they put out every year. And they say that in 2016, the number for ad, the total addressable market for advertising is $190 billion. Now, but if you look at MarTech, if you look at marketing service, and that's, you know, everything, telemarketing, direct mail, event sponsorship, directory, sales promotion, et cetera, et cetera, that number is $231 billion. Well, guess where LinkedIn and Facebook and Google are all going to go when the ad tech and the display ad business start to flatten out? Yep. And they're going to start going right into that big budget. You can even see it now with things like LinkedIn's announcement here, with things like Facebook trying to get into the MarTech budget. And, and Alibaba, literally just when they last did their last earnings announcement, they said, hey, we're not just an e-commerce player. We're also a marketing platform. We do branding, customer acquisition, engagement, retention. And that's a quote from their earnings announcement. So here come the big players into the MarTech budget. So if you're a MarTech company or you, you know, you're a marketer looking at, at, at marketing tech, all of that becomes very, very relevant to how you're seeing where your budgets are going. And so what does all that mean ultimately to marketers? I believe I believe that it means that brands have the ability to, and a responsibility to garner an audience. And as yet again, perhaps the most important thing that we can do is to get good at owned media. Because that is going to be our way to get to an addressable audience. Because regardless, if the YouTubes, the uh, Facebooks, the LinkedIns, the Pinterest, if they're successful in sort of aggregating and becoming the center of the universe of what the internet is and become the providers of data and insight into our audiences and the means by which we have to access those audiences, well, then that's going to be a tax on our marketing budget. If we can keep the web open and keep our ability to receive data from customers because customers want to willingly give us this data because we've created this trusted relationship with them, well, then we actually move toward a much more profitable model in marketing. So to me, this is such a huge business case for content marketing, owned media, 
and ultimately a repositioning of what it is we do as businesses. And I think it's just really, really important. So I, th- and- I think that's a I think that's a an article for that you should write for like HBR. Like I think that's yeah. that's the significance. HBR print version, by the way, not the online version. Yeah. So I, I don't know. That I mean, it, you're on to something. Obviously, yeah. I mean, even even this week at uh, at the conference, um, they're talking about Facebook's problem. Facebook's problem is they have no inventory. Where are they going to go? That's right. You, you, so you're 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 making the case right there. They're going to move right into the Martech side. Yeah. So that's exactly right. Brilliant as usual. All right. Thanks, Mister. Here's mine. Really, really yeah. quick uh, rave here, and it it actually has a lot to do with with our little show here. So I wanted to get your take on this. All right. So I'm at Social Media Marketing World, and I had the opportunity to see a fantastic presentation by Pat Flynn. I don't know if you know Pat. Pat is the producer of many, many podcasts, but most notably a podcast called Smart Passive Income. Um, he's probably one of the best-known podcasters in the, the marketing space, but more for small businesses. Um, his episodes have garnered way, well over 5 million um, downloads. Now, in, in Pat's speech... He talked about how important consistency is to building an audience like we always do, but the presentation was all about surprising your audience to grow your audience. So, of course, it got me right away. I'm like, okay, what's he talking about? So, according to Pat, almost all content initiatives grow an audience a little at a time in a smooth slope upward. And if you look at our stats for this old marketing, that's what you would say. I mean, we started out with you know a couple hundred downloads for our first episode, and now we'll get well over 10,000 downloads an episode and on and on and on. Right. Now, while this is perfectly acceptable, you and I are happy with it. We like slow growth over time. I mean, we've been doing this for three years. It's great. But Pat recommends that at certain points, we can spike up when we've plateaued and then take it to another level and then accelerate that audience growth simply by changing up the format every once in a while and surprising that audience. So that means... Every once in a while, we need to do something completely different with our format. And he gave actually 10 ideas for this. But some of the ideas were obviously, a spe- you know, do a special episode of some kind. Like I'm thinking you and I should do a special 200th and you know 200th uh, um, podcast episode special. Something around that where you really put some marketing behind it and really get people involved. Um, he talked about a burst strategy, which has been really successful for him. So instead, he you know produces a podcast once a week. But sometimes he'll just do five in a week and just go bam, 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 bam. Um, and then that takes him to another level because he gets new listeners to that. People share it more often. And then he's able to keep a lot of those new listeners. And then one that was really, really big for him was he did a, a behind the scenes episode. Like they actually went and recorded when he was going to the airport and trying to get set up and doing things. And, and that probably would be interesting for our audience, maybe, because you and I are in the weirdest places sometimes when we actually do shows. Uh, like I'm, there's, I'm there's right so next, much wrong with that, but yeah, go ahead. I, I'm <laughs> well, right now I'm next to yeah. the double deck blackjack table, and there everybody's looking at me like I'm an idiot. Uh, yeah. Um, but you keep your current promise of content delivery, but the content or format or topic or frequency completely surprise and hopefully delight the audience. And Pat showed countless examples of this, and it just really got me thinking that you know this doesn't just have to be for a podcast, right? It can be for your blog, it can be yeah, for your video. Course, we, yeah. I see a lot of yeah, YouTubers yeah. do this all the time. So it's just a rem- what it reminded me of. And our good friend Jay Akunzo said the same thing. He's like, Joe, once you build an audience and your audience knows, likes, and trusts you, they'll give you the freedom to experiment and then mm-hmm. actually delight with you in the finished product. So I just, it's sometimes I get so um, 
so focused on consistently delivering over time, which of course is it's, it's an absolute must. But sometimes I forget. Every once in a while, you got to switch it up a little bit. Like you know, just like our our favorite sitcoms that always used to have that special right. episode, special, special episode. Christmas. Yeah, exactly. And those are the ones that everybody watches. And then yeah. then you end up keeping. So I need to I need audience. to admit that I need to admit that I like. Uh, you know that I'm a drug addict or something like that, or that that I'm actually secretly, um, you know, hiding somebody the, well, in my closet. Could, or something. we could do well. We could do the Robert Rose coming out episode. <laughs> I, if that's what you want to do, I, it, that's completely your prerogative. I'm not going to go that far. All right, then maybe. Maybe I don't know what your take is on that. You and I can. Talk I about love it. it. I love it. I you know look. I I you know well. I get more comments. Um, from that episode that we did, and I can't even remember what it was. It was one of our year anniversaries. Um, I think all the learnings, wasn't it? Like what yeah, we've learned over exactly. We didn't and we do did any that, news. and yeah. we did it. We did no news, and we did it in person. We actually did it, you know, while we were sitting across from each other, and we talked about, um, you know, and it was a very heartfelt uh, episode where we talked about basically where we got to where we were, we are today. Um, like it or not. And um, I get more, I still get more comments about that episode than I get about any other one. So I, I love this idea. I think it's, yeah, I think it's great. We could do more, definitely we could do more sort of episodes like um, like that. So I, I guess uh, maybe this is just telling our audience right now that we're thinking about it, we're going to do it. So bear with us. We're yeah. going to hit you with something, some surprise every now and again, and and hopefully you won't hate us. exactly (laughs) or any more than you already oh yeah (laughs) just just don't hate us anymore yeah yeah exactly um good all right fantastic uh well we have an old uh, this old marketing to talk about let's do it Um, yeah um it is a wonderful one it's a quick one um that we can talk through this um so i have had the pleasure of doing a little bit of work with our wonderful friends at uh, at Red Hat, and um, they used to be known as Red Hat Linux. They are no longer known as Red Hat Linux. Um, they are known as Red Hat because they offer many, many, many things, many products, um, enterprise wide, all in the open source idea. Um, and I get, it got I got to thinking about this actually because I was thinking um, uh, of the wonderful Lee Blaylock, who's going to be doing a session up here at our Intelligent Content Conference coming up next week. Um, and I was like, yeah, they've got they've got an amazing thing there that they've been doing for a long time, and it's called OpenSource.com. Um, and OpenSource.com is a wonderful resource if you are actually looking at open source or want to know more about open source or talking about you know the adoption and sharing of open source solutions and really how it's um, uh, how it's going there. The whole story of it has been going basically for the last seven years. Um, the, 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 the blog itself. So, and it was started when Red Hat CEO, uh, Jim Whitehurst, who is still the CEO, he announced the launch of the blog and basically, and said, you know, in 2010, um, and said, welcome to the conversation. And he did a post on opensource.com where he said, I want to have a site, um, where we can give something back to the open source community and have an open conversation and a connection point for all of the broader impact that open source can have. And I'm reading his quote now, as you can tell. Um, but he basically also added in that you can see we want this to be a community service, basically not anything about Red Hat, but anything about open source. And everybody and all participants are welcome. Um, and it's really since the, for the last seven years, 
been an amazing resource for for open source uh, 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 those who are, are are sort of in that lifestyle. By 2013, it has now uh, grown to basically publishing 46 articles per month. So very, very consistently and very, very frequently, each of those each of those posts averaging about 180,000 page views. By 2016, last year, um, they published an average of 95 articles per month. So they've only been increasing in the quantity of, of content that they've been publishing. And they, uh, in March of 2016, got past the 1 million page view uh, for the first time. Um, and basically, it's all been on community. As they say, the, the one sort of underlying thing there has been all about community. More than 60% of opensource.com content is contributed by members of the communities. Um, additional articles are written by the editorial team there at Red Hat um, and some other sort of Red Hat contributors that they that they engage. There is a small international team of moderators and, and, and editorial people who are working closely with really high-profile people in the open source community to curate content, publish it, get it out there. They operate it like a media property itself. Um, and anybody is welcome to submit a story. And it's just a really wonderful example of a company that is creating something of value to a community and really providing that not as a means of necessarily selling something, but by the really the true meaning of uh, of content to sort of raise the level of all the boats, you know, raise the tide, mm-hmm. as it were, and make open source a thing, a more popular, shareable, wonderful thing, and thus really positioning them uh, very, very well within it. So I just think it's a great example of this old marketing. That's a great example. I mean, we talked about recently the Aero Electronics example about one of the reasons why they purchased those properties. It's the same thing. I mean, Victor yeah. Gal from Aero, who's right. also speaking at Intelligent Content Conferences, that's one of his things, rising tide lifts all boats. Yep. And they feel it's their responsibility as the leader in the community to do that. And obviously, this is the same thing with open source. So exactly. really, really good. Exactly. Yeah. Red Hat views themselves as sort of a proponent of open source. They want to sort of really be the industry leader in how open source can do all kinds of things from the Internet of Things to, you know, algorithmic and artificial intelligence and all kinds of things. So it's it's just a really cool project and also a really cool company, I think. Excellent. Fantastic. So I'll, yeah. uh, I'll be seeing you in less than 24 hours. It's, that is correct. Impressive. I get on a, be fun. Yeah, I get up. I get on a plane at noon tomorrow and I'll be in Las Vegas. Woohoo, Las Vegas. Your favorite so city excited. in the world. I'm my favorite city and Well, your favorite, my favorite city is Orlando. So <laughs> well, city. there's that. There's <laughs> going to be on a rant about Orlando, but um yeah, no, I'm really excited for the start of the conference. I'm nervous, I'm excited. I can't wait to see old friends, make new friends. It's going to be it's going to be a great week. I'm really looking forward to it. Good deal. Well, safe travels, my friend, and uh, we you. will talk in a bit. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That is it, folks. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose. We are signing off. And if you like this episode, number 176, uh, won't you leave us a kind review on iTunes? Won't you do that? Come on, really. Come on, do it. I know you want to. Do it. Okay, and if you haven't yet, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com or your favorite podcatcher. And when you leave us a review or if you subscribe, do all those things, let us know, won't you, on the Twitter. We love Twitter, as we mentioned earlier. Hashtag us up at This Old Marketing. We'd love to thank you personally for that. And, of course, story ideas, story ideas, story ideas. Hashtag us up as well at This Old Marketing on Twitter. Or you can, of course, send an email to thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links we talked about will be available in the show notes as we publish on Monday evening. And, of course, in their replete Technicolor glory at the show post at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, 
Come see us at uh, ICC, and remember, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. Part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.